This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I started Self Work four and a half years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might be very interested in psychological and emotional issues already. Perhaps you're in therapy and just listening to another perspective would be helpful. To those of you who might just have been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or you're looking for answers to questions that you might have, but also to a group of you who might say to your friends, you know, I'd never darken the door of a therapist, but guess what? You might be just interested enough, curious enough, or despairing enough to listen to self-work. Welcome to all of you. One of the many things I love about podcasting are the questions, comments, and requests I get from you, the listeners of Self-Work. And this episode is a direct result of just such an email. After the interview with Dr. Adam Hill, a medical doctor who came close to dying by suicide, and in whose interview we discussed just how many medical doctors are struggling with depression and suicidal thinking, Dr. Christina Kiefer reached out to me. Her email was simple and to the point. She said, I'm in vet med and veterinarians are in trouble. I was intrigued and looked up some statistics on my own. And sure enough, nearly 400 veterinarians died by suicide between 1979 and 2015, according to a CDC study that analyzed 11,000 veterinarian death records in that time frame. And female veterinarians are up to 3.5 times more likely to kill themselves than members of the general population. I found an article that said this, Their patients can't speak or tell them what's wrong, much like babies can't communicate with their doctors. But unlike pediatricians, veterinarians frequently find themselves having to euthanize a patient with a treatable injury or illness because its caretaker can't afford the remedy, which might include costly surgeries, or actually, I heard from these vets, other reasons. You can say you're going to be stoic and put it out of your mind, and it's part of being a veterinarian, said Macaulay, who's a Dr. Macaulay, but the reality is over time, it weighs on you. Christina then introduced me to her friend and colleague, Dr. Kimberly Pope Robinson, who's spoken many times about this very subject and is the author of the book, The Unspoken Life, detailing what vets need to do to stay stable. I can tell you these two are a dynamic duo and told me things about the vet profession I'd never believed. Even if you're not a vet, many of us have pets and put our trust in vets implicitly, or so I thought. I learned what vets contend with on a regular basis, from completely erratic schedules to problems actually not with the pets, but with the people who own their pets or sadly dump their pets on a vet. I do want to give a trigger warning for any of you who might be pet lovers. Some of what they discuss might anger you. Or upset you. And of course, also a trigger warning for anyone who may have suicidal thinking. But I was also delighted to learn of efforts to help these animals who have no voice. Before we get to the episode, let's hear from one of Self Work sponsors, BetterHelp. They're available to help you right now. 
BetterHelp has now been a sponsor of Self Work for a few months, and I've been hearing how pleased you are with their services. I couldn't be more excited about that, as by now you know I'm a huge believer myself in the power of therapy. What is BetterHelp? It's an online therapy service that has earned the number one ranking for the quality of their service to their consumers. When you contact them, you are offered several different licensed professional therapists to choose from, all that have been vetted by BetterHelp. You can have sessions via video, text, or phone. And I found, because of course I checked it out before recommending it to you, that each therapist was very available, literally a text away, and made some of the same therapeutic suggestions to me that I'd offer myself as a therapist. Here's an excerpt from a listener who wrote in, I'm a 23-year-old living in Brazil. I'm only writing this message in order to express my gratitude towards you and your podcast. Having anxiety disorder, I always felt like I needed therapy, but I was too anxious to start it. With self-work, not only I've learned some valuable insights about dealing with my condition, but also the basics of how therapy sessions work, which allowed me to finally get some courage to start it. With the coronavirus pandemic, I'd also been concerned about attending personal sessions, but then I learned about better help in your podcast, and it sounded just perfect for what I needed. I've been getting online counseling from BetterHelp for six weeks now, and I feel like it's been helping me a lot. That's just so wonderful to hear. And now, BetterHelp has a special offer for you. 10% off the first month of sessions if you use this link. Trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork. That's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash selfwork. I'm never more honored than hearing someone sought therapy after listening to selfwork. And if selfwork is helping you, Maybe better help is your next step. So again, welcome back. I hope you can listen in on this very spirited discussion that will help all of us understand the world of vet med a bit more so we can be grateful to those who are caring for our pets and animals with such kindness backed by a wealth of experience. Let me give you just a couple of facts about our speakers. Dr. Christina Kiefer is a doctor of veterinary medicine. She also specializes in surgery. And just along the way, she completed a PhD and became specialized in sports medicine and rehab as well. Very driven and motivated person. She's now shifted to relief services herself and has introduced some non-traditional approaches to vet med that hopefully we'll hear about. Dr. Pope has been in veterinary medicine for over 20 years, practicing in both large and small sectors. Her broad career experience has provided her a unique understanding of the stresses involved with maintaining a career as a veterinarian. She now dedicates her time to providing well-being support for the profession in developing the One Life Connected Movement and is the author of The Unspoken Life and a dynamic international speaker. I learned so much from both of these very determined, energetic, and compassionate women, so let me introduce them as they help us understand the world of vet med, and as always, what you can do about it. I'm so glad to meet both of you and have you here <laughs> on Self Work. Christine, I was very touched when you reached out and thought, you know, maybe this could be something that, you know, veterinarians need to hear. And mm-hmm. how do you two know each other? Um, Kimberly came and spoke when I was working at the University of Minnesota. She came and spoke to the students okay. um, about her message with One Life Connected. And then 
um, that's where her book came on my radar. And I started with my business. um, I started something I call book rounds, where I summarize books that I think provide really useful skills or information for veterinarians for well-being. And so I chose hers as, I think it might have been my first um, (laughs) publication, actually. Numero uno. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And um, she actually ended up coming back to Minnesota to speak and um, very kindly agreed to actually do an in-person book club for for my students and myself. And you kindly allowed me to stay at your house to save money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice. They're running a movement. You're scrappy. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You only get a little local flavor, too. You well, know, and she you took me in. around. We went hiking and, you know. Oh, how nice. Yeah, she took me some nice, you know, places to eat. So it was great. Yeah. Well, I'm eager to talk to both of you, but Christina, you ha- also, you're not only a vet, a veterinarian, you have a PhD in what? Uh, veterinary regenerative medicine. Veterinarian of regenerative regenerative medicine. What is yeah. that? So uh, it's it's very similar to a normal PhD, but it's focused in veterinary science. And ah. my entire thesis was evaluating the use of adipose derived stem cells to treat dog osteoarthritis. Okay, I, I you just spoke Portuguese, <laughs> I think. <Sorry. laughs> That's all right. (laughs) Give me some words to look up. That's good. Um, And then you also founded something called VetSmart. What is that? Um, So that's my business. It it actually encompasses a lot of different things. Um, So what veterinarians would be most familiar with is going to be the clinical aspect of it, which I provide uh, relief and locum work, which is kind of yes. like being a substitute teacher that I <laughs> know. for that veterinarians I know. <laughs> um, and specifically for uh, surgery and sports medicine. So if there's a practice that has um, a surgeon out on maternity leave or paternity leave, then they'll have a few month gap in coverage and I'll go help fill in there. Okay, I see. Well, that that helps me fill out your own yeah. resume or whatever. Yeah. I wanted our listeners to know that. And then, Kimberly, you have a book called The Unspoken Life. And when I first read the title, I thought you were talking about, like, the dog's life or the cat's life. <laughs> <laughs> and then I finally realized, no, 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 that's wrong. It's because I looked it up on Amazon and, and read a little bit about it. Um, so tell me about your book. Yeah, so it has a... Um there's a book and a, a supplemental coloring book that's associated okay. with it. So it's it's basically written about the life we live as veterinary professionals from a veterinarian perspective, but it can apply to anybody in the field. So it's it's not just something that you would see from a, a veterinarian feeling. And then what I do is I share my own story um, to make it less intimidating for people to hear themselves and talk about themselves. And I share kind of the steps along the way that help me to stay connected, kind of moving away from this name, blame, judge, cynical, um, very uncomfortable space that took me to a very dangerous space where I almost took my life and then moving towards a space where I'm like recognizing and embracing and staying connected. And so I take you on this journey of the steps to go through that. And each one of those steps, I share it through personal perspective stories. So then that way, and I did that initially intentionally, not initially, but intentionally as people see themselves in the book. 
and they see their own lives and their own stories through my stories and they can think of their own and they can relate. So it's very relatable. It, you know, normalizes kind of talking about suicide and the stresses that come with this. And yet it gives kind of an idea of where to go. Very short. That's very wonderful. Easy, very easy. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a complex read, but it's an easy read. Like you could read it in like two hours and be done with it. But you read a chapter and it's kind of, you know, people are like, that wasn't intense. I got to sit with that chapter for a little bit before I move on to the next chapter. Sure. So, yeah. Well, you know, in self-work, um, I, in, I'm, a, I'm a psychologist, as y'all know, and I, I'm very d- transparent about myself as well, that I've had my own mental health struggles and still do. And I do think you're exactly right that it is in being open about that. So, um, Kimberly, you're talking about your own struggle with depression. Christina, have you had that as well? Or is that something? Something that, yeah, I actually um, struggled with depression before vet school, um, and I would say it's been relatively well managed during vet school. But it has been extremely intentional and very, um, um, very challenging to build a skill set to actually manage that in the middle of vet med. And I'm, I'm actually your uh, podcast about the perfectly hidden depression actually resonated very deeply with me because it, it brought up a lot of points that made me think I probably need to reevaluate <laughs> how well it's being managed. Yeah, I, it, it, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I get chill bumps every time I hear someone say, but she didn't look depressed. <laughs> and yeah. I just, uh, you know, I want to throw the pillow at the screen or whatever. But and I, the whole book is about trying to raise awareness about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to talk about your personal stories. But explain mm-hmm. to us, please, what is it about veterinary science or practicing as a veterinarian that you think um, makes that profession one that is particularly um uh, susceptible to depression and suicidal thoughts or whatever. Do you want to take turns, Kim? Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, a I'll, whole long list of I know, factors I'll that, that I'll people start. hypothesize. Yeah, I'll start. So there's no one thing I would say, and that's what everybody asks me. You know, when when people find out I'm a vet, like when I'm when I was traveling and I'd be sitting next to someone, they're like, "Oh, you're a vet," um, you know. And then, and then they find out that I actually don't practice anymore, but I speak for well-being for the professionals. They're always so shocked to hear that vets are struggling. Like, I thought they all love what they do. And it's kind of that scenario, the idea that society puts veterinarians up on this pedestal, kind of this unrealistic, un, you know, we can never live up to pedestal that that, you know, is really hard. And we feel like we have to be this, like when someone meets me for the first time and they find out I'm a veterinarian, now all they ever want to talk about is dogs and cats and this and that. And anything I was prior to that, you know, a wife, a daughter, a runner, a traveler, it doesn't matter anymore. The only thing I'm labeled as is a veterinarian. And, and although that is beautiful that they respect me for it, it's a lot that it, it, it encompasses my life. It's not a career. It's like a lifestyle. You feel that, sort of pigeonholed. Is yeah, that what you, you mean? Get pigeonholed. Like that's how you were completely defined. And then mm-hmm. when you're then, so that's the setting. Okay. So that's, you know, and you have spent, you know, eight, 10 years of your life getting there, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get to this point, And you've put a lot of effort into it. Then you're out practicing, right? So you've got that scenario of what the culture of society has of us all the time and effort we put into it. And then now you're in the, 
the threshold of the, 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 the throes of it. And there are all these sinkers that are like trying to drown you in this ocean of shame where you feel unworthy of acceptance. You know, you've got Dr. Google telling clients that coconut oil is going to fix the world and it doesn't. You've got Yelp reviews that are completely inappropriate, but yet we can't defend ourselves because it's a medical case. You have, you know, clients with no money who are like, oh, you only care about money. You have pets who don't have anything that you can do to help them, you know, so you're, you feel helpless. You have judgment errors where you make decisions with limited information but then you realize that was the wrong decision you know i think <laughs> you you're describing a psychologist i think yeah. you're describing a psychologist's <laughs> yeah. life as well actually yeah. and so you're dealing with people emotions you're dealing with your own emotions and then you have your own personality traits like i'm a heavy perfectionist heavy introvert and i'm having to like give my energy out all the time you know people always say that the reason why we struggle is because of euthanasia and you know that we do it and and it's not like i i learned how to manage that piece of the job very well because i knew i needed to learn how to manage that piece of the job it was all the other stuff that comes in and so it's all of those things and you start to sink and you just feel like i'm not good enough i'm not doing enough and then you get to this place where you got to blame somebody you know Brene Brown talks about this right you mm-hmm, say sure. you got to blame you got to blame and so you start blaming the clients and then you start blaming the pets and the people you work with and and then all of humanity and everybody's a jerk and a hole, you know, hate the world. And then you start blaming yourself and it's just this like spiral, right? And it just spirals down. And then you've got the world putting you up on this pedestal that you can't live up to. And it, you feel trapped. You feel trapped that you have no other decision. You have no other way to go. Yeah, you know, I I remember hearing this a long time ago that it's um, that it's harder to get into veterinarian school than it is medical school, and so the pressure that you must feel from the very beginning to be your very very best and and the the competition that evolves in in graduate school. I guess it, it's not it's not called graduate school; it's med school. Okay. So, Christina, would you say that the that kind of pressure starts in? in school or I actually have a theory that that school selects for personality traits that are prone to to issues um because like you when I applied to vet school um it was easier to get into medical school than it was vet school Mm -hmm. and I actually I didn't get in my first time and I briefly looked at jumping over into um applying for medical school And when you looked at my criteria compared to average accepted vets versus average accepted MDs, then there would have been no problem getting into medical school. Interesting. Um, So it it requires a personality that's hyper-focused, highly intense, um, tends to attract a personality that's very perfectionist. um, And then you get them in vet school and it's only compounded. Mm-hmm. You tend to get people that have bo- poor boundary setting skills mm-hmm. or the boundary setting skills have been obliterated by vet school. Well, <laughs> now, can you be a little more specific? Because when you say poor boundary setting, do you mean that you're not taking care of yourself? That that that's the boundary that you that you uh, cross all the time? I don't need to sleep. Um, I'll just study. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Time boundaries, um, even ethical boundaries can get overrun very quickly. Um, Can you explain? Can you explain? Sure. Uh, 
every case has a lot of nuances to it. And so you might get a case that's presented to you that you feel very strongly against euthanizing them for whatever the medical problem is. However, you're also faced with if you don't euthanize them. I actually had an owner threaten to me if I refused to euthanize her pet she was going to take it out back and shoot it. Oh, my gosh. And that happens a lot. So you're faced with the decision, do I bear the burden of euthanizing a healthy animal or do I euthanize this animal so it's not going to suffer at the hands of this person? So so that's one example. There's oh, my gosh. And they're not all related to euthanasia. I mean, you can have people who are like, you know, I need to treat my dog's pancreatitis and you're telling me I need to come up with $3,000. Well, I'm not going to have food on the table for my kids. And that's your fault. And you know, you're in this ethical dilemma, like, oh my gosh, I'm taking food away from this family or I help save their pet. And, you know, you have to like, it's, it's, there's a lot of different places and it can be also just about preventative stuff too. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So it has so much to do with, the family's perception of of how a pet the role a pet has in the family and what they're willing to sacrifice and so let me ask you this if if they're asking you to euthanize is there anything set up this may be a bit of tangent on my part of people who are saying we'll take those dogs or cats or whatever i'm sorry um so you would have to convince the owner to actually surrender rights to that pet which may not always happen Um, you, depending on your location and the economic status of your location, you, um, may have an overburden of rescues or, or places that could take the pet. Um, depending on the time of day, you may not be able to make arrangements for that pet to find another location. So working an overnight emergency shift, you may not find anybody. to. Wow. And that's the boundary that we have to make because it's not yeah. a responsibility to do that. And that's right. what, what Christian then turns back to. So, and that's that perception is like, well, they should just be able to find a home for it. They should be able to do something for it. But that's a boundary we have to make. We all mm-hmm. have pets in our mm-hmm. possession right now that <laughs> would not be here today <laughs> if it wasn't for us. I mean, all of us had them. I have a bird, I have, um, and two cats, you know, and, and I've had multiple before that. So, but, but, you know, I've had plenty of people, you know, want to drop pets off to us and that's just not a burden. You know, we have enough on our plate. So you're, you're right. We would hope to be able to find that, but there's so much more behind that than just being able wow. to find it. And, you know, and I don't want to make it about just euthanasia because that is not, I have people who were suicidal and were wanting to leave the profession and they have opened up end of life care practices and they are very happy um, mm-hmm. where they're at. So it is not almost just, like a hospice for pets. Yeah, is that what yeah, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They actually have certification in hospice. Yeah, they're great and they love it. So it's mm-hmm. not just about the act of taking the life of the pet. It's the emotion of the human bond and what that means, both for patient and client and then patient and veterinary professional. And then that between the veterinary professional and the client, there's like the, a triangle. And, you know, as a psychologist, when you got triangle relationships, <laughs> you know, not a lot of great things fall out from that <laughs> all the time. You know, some great things do, but, you know, you got triangulation happening and um, and so that emotions a lot of time come out and and 
it's, you know, I think Christina nailed it. We do have the personality traits that they, they find to get us into the profession that make us successful in getting through school and getting to the profession. I usually, I've, I've interviewed hundreds of veterinary professionals, especially veterinarians, and we're, we're, we're introvert, we're perfectionists, we're analytical, we're workaholics, we're people pleasers. Is this sounding like anybody you know? We're sensitive, <laughs> right? I mean, and so those are great characteristics that drive us to get us through. But when you get out, ooh. Well, the other thing that I'm sitting here realizing as I talk with the two of you, you're fascinating, by the way. Gosh, my eyes are being opened. I'm going to go thank every vet I know. You know? But obviously, you're dealing with a nonverbal patient. I mean, it is kind of like an infant. They can't tell you how they feel. I mean, you, they can. I guess you pick up on language that they, you know, what their eyes look like or what, you know, I guess you know their body language or whatever. But that's fascinating that, you know, you've, you've got to listen to this yapping owner and they may or may not have any kind of uh, compassion for the animal. And yet you, you're, you have this kind of compassion and you're trying to understand and discover what truly is wrong and what's the best course. Yeah. And, or they could be over compassionate for the animal, you know, yeah, there's yeah, that yeah. too. And then, you know, and we are really good at reading animal behavior because you mm. also have to realize that we're trying to help this animal. That's also potentially trying to bite us and hurt us. And we have to manage that as well, right. you know, and the clients, you know, are there and, and, and we're like, no, we're going to have to do something different because your pet's going to bite me. Oh no, he won't bite. Actually, <laughs> My 25 years in this profession tells me he is going to bite me because we can read their language a lot better than the mm-hmm. average sure person. can. Because so you're objective. Do, yeah. Have, and that's emotional, too, because people don't want to believe their animals aren't nice. You know what I mean? And then or you can't do something for them and then they get upset. So, yeah, you're absolutely correct. There's a lot of the nonverbal stuff going on with the animal and 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 we're having to read that. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. Okay, so um, when I talk on the podcast, I talk a lot about what you can do about it. And I, I think, what do, you, what do you look for that you have control over? Obviously, you know, if you've heard from a lot of people, Kimberly, uh, what are you suggesting to people that are struggling with depression or, or even have uh, thoughts of hurting themselves, or, or you, Christina, about what they can do? About Is this a, a sup- kind of a support group kind of thing that is happening? Or what, what, can, pe- what can veterinarians do? What can people who, are, who have friends who are veterinarians who are partnered with veterinarians i mean how what can what can people do um i'll go first and then i'll let christina share her perspective i honestly give people and this is not me trying to plug it i give them my book um i just say take this and i i have thousands of them behind me and i hand them out like tic tacs i'm just like you get a book you get a book you get a book you know i just give it to anybody oh you're going into vet med read this you know there's all these resources for you i think being aware that they're not alone and they're not broken is like the very first step in understanding that this this is normal that you feel this way. When I when I used to mentor a lot of veterinarians, I used to tell them when they first come in out of school and they're bright eyed and bushy tailed and super excited, I tell them, well, in about a year or two, you're going to regret becoming a veterinarian, and that's normal. Okay, you're not bad. You're not a bad person. You know, let's 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 work through this. And when you're there, here's my number. Here's some resources. Here's some things to help you. And when they get there, which they ultimately always do, you know, they have something to go from. Now, I was told that I'm negative. You know, I'm setting people up for failure because I'm not being positive. And I'm like, no, I'm being realistic. 
So I think just having language about it and being able to recognize that you're not weird, that you feel this way is a huge first step. And so that's what I give them from there. I call it filling their balloons. It's, and then the balloons help you from not drowning in that ocean. And they're mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And everybody fills them differently. And I say, you know, that's what you want to find is what works for you. There is sure. no like 10 step program you can take that's going to make you love veterinary medicine, want to stay in it forever. It's recognizing you're not alone, understanding a language that you can speak from, and then finding a solution that works individually and unique to you. Is that what you did? Did you, when you were so depressed, what did you do? I felt like I couldn't get out of where I was at. And I felt that feeling of, you know, I'm at the bottom of this ocean. I feel just totally unworthy. And for me, what happened in that moment when I was about to, um, I was going to take a bunch of pills that I had. And I stopped myself because I thought of my horse. So I thought, I don't, which I don't have anymore, but at the time I had him. And, and I thought no one is going to, he's going to want, he's not going to know what happened to me. And then my cat walked in my room at that moment. And the, the same thing that brought me to that place of just like utter demise and just, just, you know, ah, was the human bond was the same thing that kind of like shocked me real quick. And <laughs> it was just like, mm-hmm. Hey, you mm-hmm. don't want to do this. And I'm like, no, I don't mm-hmm. want to do this. And I kind of stopped myself and it wasn't all rainbows and unicorns from there. I then just made a conscious decision. Like I've got to figure out what I need to do. And, you know, if I can, if I can intercede or interfere, not, oh, interject, that's what I'm looking for. (laughs) You know, I did my first interview um, that I did on self-work was John Moe and he's uh, his, he's creator of the hilarious world of depression and he's a great writer and he's an NPR guy. Anyway, he said he was out on this bridge in Seattle. It was a bridge famous for people to jump off of and kill themselves, but people had erected these barriers uh, for so, so to make it much more difficult to do. And he saw those barriers and something clicked in his head. And he thought, there are people who don't want me to do this. My wife doesn't want me to do this. It was this, it was this visual of, wait a minute, this is a barrier that made him sort of realize, wait, what, what am I doing? And that sounds like your horse and your cat yeah. and all of that was just sort of a wait, wait kind yeah. of thing. And then I thought about my husband and my family and all of that. And so it wasn't easy from there. Um, I talk about the message now. It's not like I understood what the, you know, the sinkers and the ocean of shame and this balloons. No, but I was actually practicing that. I was finding a way to reconnect and, and find ways to, you know, be connected to my own balloons and things that lift me up. And so it's been a process. And in that process, I was able to then start honing in the message and share it with others. But for my own journey, I mean, it took a good, I mean, I don't know about you, Christina, but it took a good four or five years of me doing my own kind of thing, finding what works for me. And I still struggle at times. I mean, COVID hasn't been easy. And, you know, you see flare ups come up, but I'm aware of them now. And I'm able to lean on my resources that I've created for myself. Christina, what about for you? Uh, One thing I think would make a huge difference for our profession is, again, changing one of those, quote, skills or traits that we tend to come with, which is um, to solve problems on our own and actually learn to reach out and actually openly communicate with each other. Like Kimberly said, 
you know, understanding that you're not alone. You're not the only one feeling this. Other people have been through what you're going through. They've survived. They've come out the other side. Um, you know, there's bright patches in life and there's dark patches in life. And you don't you don't want to end on a dark patch. Um, there's multiple options to get out of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that's probably the biggest thing. Um, so, so getting to the point where we are willing to reach out for help and seek help, but be open about, you know, Hey, I struggled with that. How are you doing right now? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I'd feel so much better when I went and saw a therapist or whatever. Well, y'all are both role models for that. So that's great. And um, I appreciate that so much. Let's talk about the pandemic a little bit. What what has the pandemic been like for your profession? Oh. <laughs> so I, 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 I speak for a living. That's pretty much what I do. And I travel. So obviously that all stopped. But I already have been doing virtual events. But I'll do some clinic work on the side to help out. And I would maybe work like, I don't know, four weekend days a month. I've been up to about 15 days a month because the need is so big that, and when I go there, people come in like, man, it took me two months to get in here. The it's, it's insane how busy our profession is right now. It's just Mm -hmm. insane. Because so many people have adopted animals from shelters and that kind of thing. Do you think that's the reason or is it just? I think there was actually a period of time where um, we've been essential workers all along. But there was, depending on the state you were in, there was probably about a two to three month period where they actually eliminated all surgeries because they needed the PPE for potential COVID cases, which severely backlogged things. Clinics were variable in terms of what caseload they could handle within those limits. Most veterinary practices are actually very small. So maybe five to 15 employees. So if you get, and and like physically small, the building's small. So Mm -hmm, if you get somebody mm -hmm. that gets COVID, it can run through the hospital to the point where you don't have anybody there to work. So the whole hospital might shut down. Mm Um, There is a theory that there's been a lot of adoptions associated with COVID. Um, And I think that's proven, but I don't think that explains the whole of the implosion of the caseload. I also think everybody's at home staring at their dog and cat all day long. So they're actually seeing things way earlier than what we've seen in the past. And they want, you know, for a long period, they had nowhere else to go or see anybody unless they went to the vet. That was a free ticket to go get some socialization. Even though we did curbside, they got to talk and interact with people, sometimes oh, sure. video camera or, you know, through a window when you're on a phone, you're actually interacting with somebody. So I also think there's a, an implosion coming <laughs> because COVID has actually required that veterinarians start setting boundaries. And so we have had to limit the number of cases that we see a day. We're having to turn sick pets away and there's nowhere Mm -hmm. else for them to go. We're having to deal with the owners that are traumatized by not being able to have their sick pet seen. So we've actually been forced to set boundaries and we have not been given the skill or the time to really develop them. And so that, ethical dilemma that we talked about it's right back there again like Mm. i came into this profession to help people animals and i can't like i can only do so much yes exactly right Right. so what would you advise 
uh, someone again who's listening to this, who's a vet or or, is, or cares about a vet, what would what would you? It sounds like what you would advise them to do is to feel okay about saying this is harder than I thought, and this is something that uh, I'm in over my head, or I'm having thoughts that that should scare me, and if they don't, that that should scare me even more that they don't scare me, mm-hmm. and um, so. Uh, are, are there support organizations in your profession that would be helpful if like, you know, alcoholics can go to, to AA? I mean, is there something that's available for your profession specifically that uh, might be helpful? So if there's uh, our not governing body, but our, our professional body, um, the AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association, they've actually put a lot of work and effort into um, a whole list of resources and so that's that's usually where i send people you know in crisis or or that that need to learn more about it okay there's Mm -hmm. kimberly's book would be another yes Um, yes 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 i mean i've been very open that i worked with a psychiatrist and i'm not ashamed to talk about that and if you have Mm -hmm. to be on medication because of a chemical imbalance that you have there's nothing wrong with that either that's your own physical balloon that you need and I think, you know, sometimes getting rid of the stigma of just saying you're normal, it's okay, that's mm-hmm. your normal, that's your space, and you need to yep. find what you need to find that helps you. Yeah, great advice, Kimberly. Christina, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I think she's covered it really well. Okay. Well, you did. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I thank both of you. My eyes have been opened, and I know that um, my, the listeners will be too, and I think you've pointed out some great um, aspects of being a veterinarian that it's important for all of us to realize, and especially we owners who are coming and going and and to try to be more patient and aware of uh, of your limits and your boundaries and and maybe we can all try to help in that way as well yeah i mean i but I love being a veterinarian I mean i you know if you had asked me that question fifteen years ago, I might well i don't know if I made the right decision, but now I know I do because I have the resources that help me. I love helping people. I love connecting with animals. I love all that aspect of it. So there is a lot of positive to this to this industry. Yeah, I would I would echo that, that I love being a veterinarian, but I've also taken a very non traditional path and adjusted things a lot along the way to make it that way. Yeah, yeah so you, so you're not trapped. Yeah, yeah, I think we both have. Well, thank you. Thank you. I know I know the listeners will be just fascinated by this as I have been. And um, like I said, go kiss a vet, you know, <laughs> if if you get permission. <laughs> yeah. At least uh, give them a, a thank you card. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Really appreciate thank it. you both. These wonderful doctors had so much to teach us about veterinary medicine, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being here at Self Work. As always, you can contact me just like Dr. Kiefer did at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. My website is also DrMargaretRutherford.com, and you can subscribe there, and you'll receive a weekly newsletter, which features my weekly blog post and podcast episodes, so it's a really easy way to keep in touch with me. 
Thank you all for your continued ratings and reviews on Amazon for my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression. Perfectly Hidden Depression is a book more about control, really, than it is perfectionism. And if you're someone who has to maintain a rigid sense of control over your emotions, this book may be for you. It's available in ebook, audiobook, and, of course, a paperback on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or you can find it at your local bookstore as well. And, of course, to those of you who continue to leave ratings and reviews, wherever you listen to self-work, thank you so very much. I learn what you enjoy and what is meaningful to you when you write out a review. So thank you so very much. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.